0: Welcome back to Brooklands and this edition of The Track. My name's Tim Morris. Today we take a look at uh, grassroots motorsport. And we hear from Claire Kirkpatrick, who is the Head of Club and Community Development at Motorsport UK, about uh, their new streetcar initiative. Uh, We also hear from the Head of Events at Brooklands, Steve Castle, about what an auto solo is and uh, some of the competitors in the recent double 12 event at brooklyn's uh, which featured an auto solo the double 12 is one of the most popular events in the brooklyn's calendar and uh, it contains three basic elements uh, the first is a trials which takes place on the mercedes-benz world track and then back at Brooklands, there's a concorde elegance and uh, an auto test or auto solo. To win the coveted Double 12 trophy, competitors must take part in at least two of those elements over the weekend and they gain points uh, for each one that they take part in. But why is it called the Double 12? Well, back when the track was actually in use, um, endurance racing was popular and they took place over 24 hours or 48 hours. Um, but that wasn't very conducive to the local residents Um, so in the end they had to split the racing to two 12-hour sessions with an overnight uh, stay of quietness hence the double 12. The Brooklyn members put on a great programme of uh, talk events throughout the year Uh, the latest one took place in June and featured Dick Bennett from West Surrey Racing and in the final part of today's program, uh, we hear a story from him. And now over to Claire Kirkpatrick, who talks about the Streetcar initiative from Motorsport UK. So, hi Claire. Hi Tim. All right, and um, tell us a bit about Streetcar.
1: So, Streetcar is a new campaign that we launched this week, all about um, promoting grassroots motorsport. Everything from auto solos and auto tests through to road rallying, 12 cars, and also uh, car trials. So it's a campaign to prove that you can do motorsport in your everyday road car.
0: This is a national campaign through Motorsport UK. Um, So how do people actually get involved uh, on a street level, as it's a street car, with this sort of motorsport? Uh,
1: So you can find out more on our website, streetcarmotorsportuk.org. Um, we've also got a streetcar facebook group that you can join and ask lots of questions you can find your local streetcar club um and you can contact us at streetcar at org. so yeah have
0: got to remember that .org at the end there haven't you really and you've been taking part in the auto solo today what was that like
1: Yeah, I have. It's my first time of doing an auto solo, but um, great fun. Um, Yeah, getting faster each run, so we're just having a break while they reset the course ready for uh, this afternoon's test, but great fun.
0: And you have um, some ambitions for more Uh
1: streetcar-type events? Uh, Yeah, so... um, there are going to be lots of different streetcar branded events all around the country that we'll be taking the mini to i've done a car trial last year but obviously not in this many but we'll try and do that again later this year um and yeah get out on some rallies and things
0: excellent so if people want to take part in auto solos auto tests that type of uh, i don't know what you call it really a, a base level of motorsport uh th- do they need a license to do this
1: yeah, so you just need what's called an RS Clubman license, but it's free and you can get that off our website. Um, you can just log in or create a login to get your license, which will be emailed to you. Then, so as long as you've got your RS Clubman license, you're a member of a car club or a motor club, then yeah, find your local event and get down there and stop.
0: It's quite good fun. I've had a go at auto testing myself, which is quite simple. As I say You don't need a racing licence, you don't need to take any test. You just get out there, get your RS Clubman licence, which is free online, and take part. Thanks very much, Claire.
1: No worries, thank you. We caught
0: up with the Brooklyn's Head of Events, Steve Castle, at an earlier event, and here he explains all
2: about an auto solo. An auto solo is an entry form or an, an entry level form of motorsport, which gives the guys and girls the opportunity to drive on a course we've got laid out here. We've got four different courses during the course of the day. They get a chance to drive each one three times, with the best two times to count. Each course is laid out slightly differently. This afternoon, the courses will be running the opposite way round to the way they are at the moment. Uh, It's an all-forwards motorsport, non-stop, assuming everybody gets the course right, against the clock, in classes. So I think we've got seven different classes for different cars, so you're not necessarily competing in a small... the small Mini isn't necessarily competing against a bigger engine car directly. Although, obviously, the thing with this, if you've got a nice, nimble car bit of power you know what you're doing you go out and have great fun and you can end up winning if if not your class overall
0: yeah it all seems um, quite fast this one faster than normal auto testing
2: yes it is This is part of the reason or part of the reason for that is because it is all forwards and it's non-stop it's not like it is a branch of auto testing but it's not like auto testing where you are Doing sort of 360 degrees round a cone or you're reversing in and out of garages and the light laid out with cones. It is all forward so it's designed so that it just keeps the movement there, and as long as you can keep that going, you'll set a good quick time. It's not unlike some sports, the marshals change throughout the day. Uh, the great thing again with the sport is that the drivers have three different jobs to do during the day effectively. Driving Resting and marshalling, so that at any particular point of the three groups, there's one group driving on the course, there's one group resting and the other group is marshalling. And then we just swap them round as the day goes on so that everybody knows what they're doing, which is is great for the event because it means you don't need the same kind of organising your team you would for a bigger event because the the drivers do it themselves. And you
0: uh, partake of this sort of thing yourself?
2: I have done in the past. I've done a bit of sprinting. I've done a some, some bit of hill climbing, rallying. Had a go at auto testing, but uh, ended up with auto testing stopped fairly quickly. I just couldn't remember where the hell I was going. And that, that's the other advantage, of course, with the auto soloing, that if you, you see, when you see pictures of what's actually going on out there, the, the course is laid out such that the cones are pointing towards where you need to be going so actually you you don't need to look at the diagram before you can work it out as you go along and by the time you get to your third run hopefully you've got it right and it's all it's all flowing well yeah you might get some points as well brilliant thanks very much steve okay
0: i walked along the line of auto test cars at the uh, brooklyn's double 12 and spoke to some of the drivers there and uh, first up is pete with his mini then it's nick and stacy with their suzuki swift and finally we speak to andrew in his mg midget hi there pete
3: hello there yeah
0: and um, this is obviously your mini
3: it is yeah yeah i've had it some years and it's uh does it <laughs> does what it's meant to do yeah
0: do you mainly do auto testing in
3: this no i do auto solo which is sort of similar but but faster and more open right and we've we have done a few events at brickland brooklands yeah, yeah. Dri- just Dri- they call the them grid. driving tests yeah. and they're running the um the way they used to run them years and years ago uh probably in the 50s and early 60s so that you know they were more straightforward yeah uh, and cars were less agile than they are today <laughs> you know <clears throat> yeah
0: so there is no reversing into garages in in this Not one, then.
3: Study, no. no, but there would be in a, a an auto test, mm. and if you go to national level auto tests, they are awesome. The reversing, where well, you don't even see them, one minute they're going forwards, the next minute they're going backwards into yeah, really seamless, tight spaces. Seamless. Yeah. Um, tell us a bit about your car. What, what, what is it? It started out as a Mini Mayfair, right, um, hmm. and. Uh, well, so I've modified it now. I've got a bigger engine, a uh, special gearbox, uh, and uh, it's, it's fairly well modified, but not heavily modified right. because you want it to run nice and smoothly with plenty of torque. And the suspension's all um, sorted so that the wheels point in the right direction. <laughs> and, yeah. um, and I use tyres, which I've found are very good for grip. Right. Um, and, and for these events, you, you have to use a standard tyre.
0: Okay, we're still in the lunch break at the moment, so we're just going to catch uh, another one here. And we've got Nick and Stacey and their Suzuki,
4: yeah, by the look Suzuki of things. Swift,
0: yeah. A Suzuki Swift. Yeah, a Suzuki
4: that? Swift Sport. It's actually the wife's car. Right. She takes the shops, takes the dog out in. Yeah. But it's thought, shopping <laughs> car.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah.
4: We thought we'd drag it out and uh, have a bit of fun with it. and uh,
0: so. Yeah. Shopping and motorsport.
1: Yeah, it's yeah. well used. <laughs> yeah, we've <laughs>
4: all done a couple of track days, couple of Targa rallies, and it's still really? still going. So <laughs> yeah, yeah. Is
0: this
4: uh, an ordinary car? Is it had yeah, modifications? Very, very standard. The, the only thing we've done is go to the fifteen-inch wheels. Um, okay. Just make tyres a bit more available um, and cheaper, really. Yeah. Um, but otherwise, no. It's completely standard. Um, so. Just try and keep it maintained and it, it yeah, seems to be doing yeah, all right for us. Yeah, yeah.
0: completely standard road car, yeah. apart from your wheels that you've changed. Yeah. And anyone can take part in these sort of audio tips. Yeah, yeah.
4: yeah, you don't actually need a fancy car or anything, no, just you bring don't need your, your you don't daily need a
0: driver. I mean, we see a few classics in the row here, but next to a Ford Focus, yeah, you know, <laughs> and you've got it, yeah, your Suzuki. So it yeah. proves that anyone can really, yeah. And it's just a good day's in
4: fun it. in your car. That's yeah. It doesn't cost a fortune, so yeah, yeah. yeah. How did
0: how did it go this morning?
4: Yeah, it went went really well. So no penalties. At a couple of times had to reverse a couple of times, um, okay. but otherwise we're still with third overall. So um, um, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah going with the yeah. afternoon. Yeah. Fingers crossed, and we we'll keep it clean and might get a trophy.
0: Okay, we're moving along the line and uh, we've found uh, a nice orange MG midget. And uh, the driver of this one is Andrew. Hi there. Hello. Okay, we have an MG midget and you're doing the auto test today. How's it gone? <laughs> Well, it started very badly when I uh, made a
5: mistake on the first test, but after that, it's gone okay. So, um, yeah, it's been fun. I've, I've enjoyed it, and uh, results don't look too bad so far. I'm uh, n- nowhere near the top, but uh, it's good fun.
0: Yeah, so it, uh, uh, well. it can be hard to try and work your way around those cones, yeah. and you obviously had a bit of a failure this morning. Uh, yep. Uh, does that count in the scoring, or do you get two goes? Certainly
5: the... not because you get two goes at each test, right. and it's best that counts this time. Yeah. So uh, it hasn't—it hasn't had a... It hasn't Second had time a... round. It was alright. Second time round, it was okay. Phew. Yeah, <laughs> that was lucky
0: then. Wasn't yeah, uh, you've just had your score sheets, I think. So how uh... did you get on?
5: So I think I'm running something like 8th or ninth at the moment, which uh, isn't too bad, only a few seconds behind the few in front. So uh, we'll go out this afternoon and have a bit of fun and see see what happens, see if we move up or down. Uh,
0: So tell us a little bit about this car. So
5: uh, I've owned this car for nearly 40 years now. So it was only, I think, seven years old when I first bought it. Um, it started off my day car and it's now uh, uh, it now just sits in the garage and the sun shines <laughs> <laughs> so, okay, so uh, it was an
0: everyday driver.
5: It, it, was, it, was, it, was an ev- it was an everyday drive yeah. but uh, getting back into it again after a modern car you think gosh were cars really like that 40 I years know, ago yeah, <laughs>
6: yeah, big I've been driving
1: in my car it's not quite a Jaguar
0: Was madness driving in their car? Of uh, course, you can drive any car in the auto tests and auto solos that we have been talking about uh, before. Then. Now let's move on to some proper racing. And uh, Dick Bennett, who is the boss of West Surrey Racing, and he's in conversation here with Harry sherrard talking about his early days uh,
6: leading to the setup of. Uh, Originally, of course, he lived um, a lot further away. Uh, South Island, New Zealand. So, how, how did you get involved in motorsport? Was there was there family involvement? Uh, no, not really. It was yeah, probably
7: my dad. He used to take me to watch um, street races in New Zealand. Um, then I took an interest. Uh, you know I'm going back quite a few years. Um, when I thought I was quite a good driver, but <laughs> I realised then after a while, I'm a, bit, a better engineer than a driver. Um, I had a very highly developed Ford 100e, always finished second in my class, never won it. It was probably my driving lack of ability. So then I decided not to pursue a driving career and
6: um, do engineering and motorsport. Okay, so what, where did you then go from there in terms of uh, going into professional motorsport? Um, my hometown, Dunedin.
7: Is it wasn't much motorsport so I had an opportunity to move to Auckland. Uh, one of my mates in the Otago Sport Car Club, Alan Dick, um, he said there's someone in Auckland looking for someone of my ability, young lad, wants you know passion for motorsport. So I applied and I was uh, 72 applications and um, they got it down to five, they flew me to Auckland. I'd never flown to Auckland before, you know, I was 21, 20 years old, Um, and I I was quite nervous, like moving away from my hometown, but uh, did the interview with uh, Raystone, Dennis Marwood, Performance Developments, and this incredible motorsport facility, I'd never been used to it, and like, wow, I want this job. So I flew back to the and, and my friend Alan put a word in for me, and I had to fly back up again. The first trip they paid for, I had to pay for the second one. So I thought, mm, a bit tough on But I got the job and um, I said to them I'll be here long term because you know, I loved it there.
6: In your, in your early days you were very much an engine man rather than uh, sh- chassis development. Yeah, that, that, no, we. Come later.
7: we didn't concentrate much on brakes or suspension or just how fast can you go
6: (laughs) Uh, learned
7: a lot since um, engines are very important but the chassis are very important now we came over to the uk uh july 72 Mm -hmm. and we borrowed a merlin m11a from a mclaren fabricator guy alan burrows and we ran that car to learn all the tricks of the british formula ford New Zealand Formula Ford ran on slick tyres, these guys ran on shredded Firestone tyres, quite massive difference. Uh-huh. So we got to meet various people, we got to the final round, but one small story there, um, while we were doing all these races around the UK, learning the drivers, learning the car, um, every time we go in for a debrief, it was in a bar at the circuit. And this chap come across to us and he said, I watched you guys at all the meetings. You always have a beer afterwards. Oh, that's what Kiwis do. Have a chat about what was good, what was bad. And it turned out it was Jerry Marshall, <laughs> <laughs> and he's always in the bar. Always used to. It. So he became a good friend. Really, you know, I read all about him when I was in New
6: Zealand. Jerry Marshall. So, um, moving on through the the ranks, then you uh, started working in uh, obviously higher powered cars in uh, Formula Pacific. I. I spent a year
7: at March Works Formula 2 team but the politics was unreal and um, our chief mechanic was an Aussie and me being a Kiwi we didn't hit it off that well. I couldn't cope with the politics, there was too many middle management so I left after one year. I got on great with Robin Hurd and Max Mosley but I left and then I had an opportunity for this guy Fred Opert from New York, New Jersey and um, I thought He's not serious, he's always a character, but I took the job and the first job was we went to New Zealand with Brian Redman with a Chevron BMW. And I said to Fred, but New Zealand's Formula 5000, what's the point? And he never told me, but it turned out we were, there was four BMW Formula 2 engines to do five weekends. And I thought, why do we need four engines? And it turned out BMW Motorsport wanted to use the New Zealand summer to develop their engine. So after one race, we got a phone call, change the engine, put another one in. And I was going, there's nothing wrong with it. But <laughs> we didn't understand then what the big game was. So it was a good series. So then we came back and did Formula Two in Europe with Keke Rosberg. We won the New Zealand championship in 77 with Keke. Um, the other driver was uh, Miko Kozorowitsky. You've probably never heard of him. He's a very good Davis Cup tennis player, and he was better at that than a race driver. <laughs> <laughs> um, so we went back to New Zealand the next year with
6: um, Bobby and Kekka and we won again, and Bobby was third. Your next career move then was to uh, to join uh, Ron Dennis's Project Four. He hadn't taken over McLaren at that time. Yeah,
7: I left. I've spent two and a half years with Fred, but I, I finished up being a mechanic, an engineer, a truck driver, an accountant. And I said to Fred, I go to America and rebuild engines for him. He realised I could build engines. So he was a great guy, but he just was too much. So I got an offer for, to join Project 4, Ron Dennis. And the first year was Formula 2. Mm-hmm. Eddie Cheever works BMW engines. But then the next year, um, Ron, we, we assembled all these 25 BMW M1 coupes for the Pro Car Series. And we'd finished them and we were absolutely knackered. And Ron said, one more. I said, no, we can't do it. He said, one more. We're going to run it ourselves. I said, OK, who's driving? Can't tell you. No, we're not doing it. And there's a couple of guys here tonight. Um, Pete Hennessy, Kev Weston, and we we gave in to Ron and we built it. And I reminded Ron, I said, don't forget how we're going to transport it. He said, the F3 truck. I said, it's a heavy car. No, you'll be right. So we finished this car at 3.30 in the morning, went to load it in the transporter. 3.40, the hydraulics on the tail left blue. So we're all sitting there. What do we do now? So I went and rang Ron 20 to 4 in the morning. Hello? Hello? I said, Ron Dick? Yeah. I said, remember that discussion on the tail? Yep. Yeah. I said, it's just done what I said. It's failed. You've got to be at Silverstone at 9 o'clock. Put the phone down. <laughs> <laughs> so we, re- we took off the piping, reworked it, aero it, home for a shower, drove up to Silverstone. We still didn't know the driver because it was plain white at that stage. Uh-huh. And in comes a helicopter, and out hops Nicky Lauda. And Ron said, is that, is, that, is that good, are you happy now? said, mm. covered yeah. in hydraulic oil. So. <laughs> we won three races, the Silverstone round, Monaco round, and um, Hockenheim. Yeah, fantastic car, beautiful sounding. But Nicky was um, not the easiest person to work with quite quite demanding yeah he he delivered the goods and we won the championship we had a big um, accident in zandvoort and we had to go to munich to repair the car and then ron being ron he actually prepared a spare car sent it out to monza for the final round so we had five and five t sitting there but we actually won the championship with the
6: damaged car and i think then you carried on in a pro car the following year for for hans Stuck, and he he is a fairly feisty Reputation as well, Hans Stuck?
7: We ran Hans for half a season, then the sponsorship ran out, so 1980, and we won Monaco again, and we won Norris Ring, but the choice to work for which driver would be Hans any day. He was fantastic to work for, um, and actually at Norris Ring he said, I think the engine's down on power, and, well, we don't want to change the engine. We changed the engine, and he won the race the next day, and he said, I told you the engine was not good.
6: So, <laughs> but he was Fantastic guy on and off track. So, of course, around this time, Ron Dennis has acquired the uh, McLaren Formula One team. So, were there F1 opportunities opening up for you then at, at this period? It was going on during
7: 1980. So, Ron asked me when we stopped running Harms. Um, Ron put me upstairs in a boiling hot office, up, not office, a workshop upstairs. And in the corner was a, an office with air conditioning, probably. 15 foot by 15 foot. And in there was John Barnard and Alan Jenkins designing the first ever carbon Formula One car, carbon chassis. So we were, I was working on helping rub down the molds and I'm pretty fussy on things. And every time I think that's perfect, um, John would come out, no, not right, good, not good enough. And I thought, oh. so, so I went to Ron, I'm, I'm not enjoying this. So he said, right, I want you to take over the Formula Three team. I said, I've never done Formula 3. He said, well, you'll sort it. So um, they were having trouble with the March 8.03. So I said to Ron, there's some Kiwi guy, Rob Wilson, he does very well in a Route. So the Route factory is only 20 minutes from Project 4. We jumped in Ron's Porsche down to the Route factory. The two Rons, Taranak and Dennis, had a meeting. They come out, and Ron said, you've got what you wanted. I said, no, I I didn't ask for it. (laughs) So and then we couldn't get this route going any quicker than the march. We were backwards and forwards to good with we this Stefan Johansson, backwards and forwards, back every time we go back, Steph and I go, who's going up to see Ron? Your turn or my turn? Because Ron, are we ready to race? No. But eventually we sussed the problem whether it. it was too soft for an aerodynamic car. So I stiffened it up massively and we were suddenly much quicker than the march. So we went on to win the last four races out of
6: four, and we came from third to first in the championship. So you you agreed to run Jonathan Palmer the following year, and as you said, he won the the title um, again? The WSC the
7: first year was Mike Cox. He owned West Surrey Engineering. He bought the car for Jonathan, but they'd only ever run Formula Ford. And they took the car. I took it to um, Goodwood. Stefan did 20 laps. Jonathan hopped in. Did a good job. They bought the car. They rang me up two weeks later. We've lost a second a lap, half a second a lap. I said, right, bring it back. Checked it over. I said, why have you done that? Why have you done this? Oh, that's the Formula Ford did that. I said, no, it's, it's, it's an aerodynamic car, it's proper ground effects car. All skirts, tunnels. Um, so I reset it up, took him back, and he went quicker than Stefan had ever gone. So I said to the owner, I said, you've got a good driver here because he's gone very quick. And I said, you've wasted your money unless you get someone to run it. And he said, well, what am I doing? I said, I'm off to New Zealand to help my mate, Dave Oxton, who had just bought the big brother of this car, a RT4. And I said, I can't let him down because he's put his trust in me. So So we semi-agreed to set up a team. I took off home to New Zealand. We won the championship with Dave with the RT4. And while I was out there, there was no iPhones in, there was no WhatsApp, so that there was telexes, expensive phone calls. And we set up WSE, WSR race team while I was 12,000 miles away.
0: Brooklyn's news. Over the summer, essential work will begin on the clubhouse balcony and the dome in particular. And there'll be an installation of a lift inside the clubhouse. Inevitably that will cause some disruption whilst that work goes on. Talking of the summer, it is the summer school holidays coming up at the end of this month and uh, throughout the end of July and August they'll be uh, looking at science behind speed and aerodynamics in a number of activities for the children, along with the car rides and the bus rides of course of course there's some great events coming up uh, during July. It begins on the 3rd uh, with the Great Motorcycle Day. Hundreds of motorbikes of all types and descriptions will descend on Brooklands. That's followed on the 9th of July by Brooklands Years Relived. Dress up in your vintage finery and come along and join in uh, Brooklands as it used to be. Then on the 24th of July we have the Classic Car Show and Jumble great general car show and around a 100 stores of all types of jumble and finally we have a couple of members events coming up this month on the 21st of july it's the people's mosquito and charlie borman will be joining us on the 18th of august and remember you don't have to be a member to attend uh, our events You can find the full details on all these events at brooklandsmuseum.com. Thanks for listening.